the whole subject of identity. It's a pretty hot-button topic these days with much ink being spilled, both in print as well as uh, online, pretty much everywhere. In a day and age, it seems like almost everyone is talking about identity, uh, whether we're talking about gender identity, sexual identity, political identity, whatever it is, I think it's clear at least that in an age of globalization, as well as an age where we seem to have opportunity for access to one another and our lives and our personal stuff that's going on in a way that's unprecedented at any other time in history, everyone seems really intent on the, uh, distinguishing ourselves, defining this is who I am as, as opposed to everyone else, which we can now see much more clearly. And I think we see countless examples of the fact as well that well beyond just sort of a personal exploration that I want to do this for myself, no, 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 identity, whatever it may be, has become for many people both a billboard by which we want to announce to everybody, hey, this is what my identity is, as well as a canon. It's a canon by which we destroy anyone who would seem to be uh, opposing or questioning that identity. In our world today, stated identity, that is for, for many people the unquestionable, uncontestable authority of the day. Now, it's not my intent to argue right now for the validity of uh, that argument, whether for or against uh, that personal quest for identity, but just simply to highlight the fact that it is a prevalent search among many of us, I think we see all around our world today, Almost it seems as if everyone has a process of this self-exploration that is leading them up to a statement where they can finally say, I am blank, whatever. Well, as a church, we have spent the last eight weeks looking at Jesus' identity, what, what his identity is through a series of I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. And those things that he revealed to us about who he is, what his identity is, if you weren't here or you were just like a refresher. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, I am God, or I am the I am. I am bread. I'm light. I am the gate, the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, the life, the true vine. And then last Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, that's, that's my identity. That's who I am, and we've said over and over again that the reason Jesus wanted us to know those things, to know his identity, is not so that we could add to the pile of facts that we know about Jesus, not so we can win at all the Bible trivial pursuit questions about Jesus. The point is so that we can know who he is. We can know him personally so that we can have a, a transforming, life-giving relationship with him, which is only possible when you know who he is. And when you consider that in light of what we just read in our passage this morning, particularly verse 17, what you see is that once we get to know who Jesus is and we form that relationship with him, it has a radically, powerfully transforming effect then on our identity, who we are. Look again at verse 17 with me there. Paul says there, once we have this relationship with Jesus, he says anyone who is in Christ, now that's a meaning-packed phrase which we'll try to open up a little bit more this morning as we study. Anyone who is in Christ, they are a new creation. It's a, it's a new transformed identity that he says comes as a direct result of knowing Jesus' identity. 
You see that actually in verse 16 there. He's, Paul basically says, there was a time I didn't know Jesus' identity. I didn't know who he was. But then once I did, once I came to see who he truly is, it transformed everything about me. Radically changed everything. So Paul is saying now, okay, this is who Jesus is. This is who, what his identity is. And once you know him, once you form that relationship with him, you are, therefore, something completely different than you were before. You are a new creation. The Bible has all kinds of ways of describing what that transformation looks like. But if you're a Christian here this morning, if you share a Christian identity, that's a, a transformed identity that you now have as well. But here's the question I want to explore a bit this morning. What do, you, what do you do? And this is a problem I think that, that all those who share a Christian identity have at one time or another. What do we do when you have an understanding of who Jesus is? as well as you have a relationship with him that transforms your identity, but you still don't feel transformed. Or maybe not as transformed as you'd like to be. What do you do when the knowledge of your transformed identity is theoretically true for you, but it's not yet experientially true? Have you ever experienced that before in your Christian walk? Uh... Years ago, a well-known pastor and author out of the United Kingdom, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, shared a, a story, an illustration, which I think perfectly pictures what this looks like. He said, try to imagine, if you can, life for yourself if you were a slave in the southern United States before the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. Just a, a horrific, unjust life for you where, where you, at that point in time, have no rights, no power. Uh, uh, if a white person came up and told you to do something, if they were abusive towards you, you, you were fearful and you just probably had to just do it. But then, imagine now it's 10 years later. And Abraham Lincoln, he's delivered the Emancipation Proclamation. So now, you have rights. You, you have a new identity. But let's say you walk into town one day and for whatever reason something happens and a white person comes up to you, starts to yell at you, starts to be abusive towards you, even though you know in your mind, hey, hey, I have a new identity. I have rights now. You can't do that. In your heart, you still feel fearful. You still feel uh, panicked in all those same ways that you did before when you were still a slave. Even though you have the new identity now. What Lloyd-Jones is saying there, and I think as it relates to our passage today, is we can read Paul's words there. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We can believe that truth objectively, but still not subjectively believe it's that we truly are transformed in our hearts. We can, as uh, pastor and author Tim Keller likes to always say, you can, you can know it, but you don't really know it. And I think one of the key elements to that knowing but not knowing comes for us when we experience continued battles against sin in our lives. We reason, okay, if, if the old me is truly gone and I'm this new creation, how come so much of the old is still hanging around? Why am I still struggling like this? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. <laughs> that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I pray that God's going to use what we look at this morning to help us all grow in freedom to both objectively and subjectively know and experience the truth of this new creation that we are when we have a relationship 
with this Jesus that we've just spent the last eight weeks looking at, when we're in Him. The way we're going to do that this morning is I want to look at our passage this morning just two ways. We're going to talk about out with the old and in with the new. Just those two things, out with the old, in with the new. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them again? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14 there. Let's see how this Jesus, this I am, truly does transform our identity when we have a relationship with him, when we are in him. All right, so let's look first of all at out with the old. Out with the old. If you look again at verse 17 there, we see here the Apostle Paul stating emphatically, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Then he expands on that statement saying, that means the old is gone, the new has come. Some of your translations will say the old has passed away. And we're going to dig into what Paul means by the old being gone in a second, but I think first we should know what he means by that, that little two words, in Christ. What does he mean by that? Now, listen, there are our entire textbooks written that could fill a small library about all of what Paul means by those two words, in Christ, which he uses all throughout his letters. But we're actually going to spend not so much time talking about what he means by in Christ as much as the results and the effects in the life of someone who is. But just so that we at least have a working definition... What Paul means when he talks about being in Christ, it's a description, generally speaking, of someone who has the saving effects of Jesus' substitutionary death and resurrection on their behalf in their life through faith. All the work that Jesus accomplished in his perfect life, death, and resurrection for you applied to you by faith that it's now yours, so much so that now your identity is transformed from someone who used to be a slave to an adopted son or daughter of God. That's something of what it means to be in Christ. I mean, so using some of the definitions we talked about uh, with Jesus, he said, I am the true vine. Someone who's in Christ is someone who has that life-giving connection to Jesus as the vine. Someone, uh, Jesus described himself as the gate or the way. Uh, someone who's in Christ is someone who's gone through that gate, gone through that way into a relationship with the Father. Again, being in Christ is, is much, much more than that. There's way more that we could say, but that I think, gives us a beginning base to work from anyway. But in Paul's first description of what the results or the effects in, the li- in our lives are of someone who is in Christ, he gives two de- definitions or descriptions of what that old is, that old that's gone is. So what's that all about? Well, I think there's two ways we see in verses 15 and 16 of our passage. But before we get there, let's just get a bigger picture, a bigger, broader understanding of what he means. In another letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he describes some of this old living, this old that's passed away. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, let me read this for you. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self 
which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Or listen as well to what Paul says when he writes to the Roman church. Romans 6. Listen to what he says here. If we've been united with him, if we are in him, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Okay, so that's, that's giving us kind of a general description of what old is, this old self, this old life that he says is gone, it's passing away. And again, the two specific examples Paul gives here in verse 15 and 16 help flush that out a bit more. Look at verse 15. Paul says, And he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Paul's saying a part of what that old way of living is, is can be described as living for ourselves. Selfish, uh, self-centered living. That's part of the old that he says needs to pass away for someone who's a new creation. And then verse 16. He says uh, this. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view that we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. So now Paul's talking about making judgments of people. Uh, making judgments solely based on what we can observe, what we can see. Now, we're always going to do that to a certain extent, of course, but what he's talking, I think, there is about making summary judgments. Just, that's who you are, that's what you are. I want to categorize you here, 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 because of this, what I can see. And he says, we can't do that anymore. That's an old way of living that needs to pass away. He says, I even used to regard Christ that way, which, of course, is one of the reasons why he hated Jesus so much. He saw him as a false messiah because he was just looking at the outside and he's like, no, you're fake. I'm not following you. And he says, we can't do that anymore if we're going to follow this Jesus now that we've been made new. So I think putting all this together, I think what we could say, summarizing it, it seems like what Paul is saying, the old being gone, if we can include Lloyd-Jones' slave analogy there, the old being gone is describing the way we used to live when we were slaves to sin. Before Jesus had pronounced his uh, uh, emancipation proclamation over us. Seems like that's what he's saying. The old being gone means, uh, on the face of it, seems like saying that someone who's in Christ will no longer act like a slave to sin does. Which is great, actually. I'm so glad he said that, because that perfectly frames the problem of what We've been saying, we, we've put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, great, and we know objectively now that means we're in Him, and yet there's not a person in here who doesn't still, every day, struggle with sin in some way, struggle with the way we used to live before we were freed from slavery, and so subjectively, we don't feel new. I mean, maybe before you knew Christ, you used to live an incredibly promiscuous lifestyle. And now, even though you're, you've been made new and you don't live that way anymore, you still struggle with the desire to do so, the temptation to do so. Maybe you used to be an incredibly angry, selfish, cynical, and hypocritical person, whatever it is. And even though you, you've, you've made Jesus the point of your life and you're in Him, you still struggle all the time with the desire to still act that way. And our logical conclusion is, okay, if the old is truly gone, shouldn't I be free from those old ways of living? 
Shouldn't that, that slave living idea be gone now that I'm new, now that I'm in him? And the logic leads many of us to conclude, actually whether we're talking about the old being gone or the new coming, that logic leads us to conclude either Bible isn't right, Bible isn't true, at least not in every circumstance, or maybe I'm not truly in him. Maybe I, maybe I haven't really been made new. And yet, when we jump ahead, for instance, to Romans 7, listen to what Paul says himself about the struggle that he continues to have in his life. He says, all the things that I know I should do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. Okay, so he's describing that exact situation, which means he can't, the old being gone can't mean not struggling with sin anymore. It can't be that. Yes, we need to live differently, but no, it, doesn't, it can't mean that we don't have any struggles to sin anymore. Okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, I think if you look down at verse 21, it's one of the most uh, theologically rich summaries of the gospel in the Bible. You see what Paul says there about a transaction that takes place. I think it begins to give us more understanding. Jesus says there, talks about him being made sin for us and his perfect righteousness being credited to us. I think there is we begin to understand what's actually gone when we are new the new person being created once the old is gone in verse 17. I think what Paul's talking about there is not our remaining struggles and temptations to sin being gone, but the penalty for sin. What Paul calls elsewhere the dividing wall of hostility that kept us from being able to be in a relationship with God, that's gone now. The thing that used to impede us from being able to experience life in Him is gone now. That's what's gone. That's what's new. Do you see the difference between those two things? So that's, that's, that's different, right? I hope already understanding that it's beginning to bring freedom to some of you, someone in here this morning who's, who's been struggling that way. Brings a sense of freedom who, 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 who's thought, maybe, maybe I don't really, I'm not really changed. Maybe now you see, okay, well maybe, that's, maybe that's not true. Maybe the ways that I've been feeling uh, like I'm not really in him, maybe I really am. Maybe it's transforming your expectations of what that should look like. So that you don't, you're not enslaved to the lie that, that says, if you struggle with sin, you're not transformed. Again, you see, Paul states it as a matter of fact. If you are in Christ, if you're covered under his sacrifice on the cross, your debt that you owed has been fully paid. Judgment is gone now and fully erased for all time. And I think one of the reasons we misunderstand this, I think the reasons we get this wrong so often it's because, as someone has said, the default position of the human heart is always works righteousness. It's always, every single one of us, to some degree, we are the rich young ruler. We hear about this new life, we hear about this transformed identity, and we say, okay, what must I do to have that? You can't, you can't just give it to me. What, what do I have to do to get it? And we feel that way because... We come to the Bible and we see it as a book that's about us primarily and what we should do. That's what the Bible is. It's telling me about, about me and, and what God wants me to do. And that's not it at all. That's, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a book about Jesus and what he has done. That's what it's about. So, 
Once we know that, once we really understand, okay, this is talking about what Jesus has done for me, we understand that what Paul is saying here is not that a Christian never struggles anymore with sin or temptation anymore. It's that living under the cover of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection for you and the price and the cost for the sins which used to separate us from our relationship with God is gone now. It's what he's done for us. Now, no, no, that objective truth does not mean as we have an excuse to just go out and sin all we want now. Can't just be like, well, sweet, I can just do whatever I want. I get grace. No, wrong. You, you, you don't. That's not how it works. I mean, actually, Paul anticipates that kind of thinking in Romans 6. He says, well, shall we just go on sinning then so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. No. And he goes on to say, we died to sin. That's what he says in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. If we've died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? So it's not that we don't fight sin anymore. It just means that now we're enabled to struggle and fight against it in a way where we can experience victory. Which is going to lead us perfectly now to our second point as we talk about being in Christ and how that empowers us both to fight against those temptations that do remain and to truly live out this new identity that we have now in Christ. So let's look quickly now at in with the new. In with the new. And we've already talked about how what we sense about the remaining old can be a stumbling block to us at first in, in really believing that we truly are transformed and we do have this new identity. The very same thing could be said for this experience of being new. We can be trapped in one of two cul-de-sacs. One is, if, if, if the old is gone, why don't I feel more new? And the other is, if, if I'm new, why do I still feel so old? These are, these are endless cycles that we can get trapped in. As I said, I hope you're already experiencing freedom from that first one, understanding what the old being gone is. I'm praying now that you'll experience even more freedom in knowing what being new means for you. And I say being made new, God is making us new, because here's one of the reasons I think we get this part wrong. I think we don't feel new, we don't understand ourselves as a new creation, we don't understand the new has come here because... We, we, we get confused and discouraged because we don't understand the difference between justifying grace and sanctifying grace. These are two different things. Maybe those terms sound intimidating to you. They're not. They're really easy to understand, and I think actually every Christian ought to understand and know what these terms mean, be able to use them. Very simply, justification. This is a legal declaration of someone who is now righteous, who is not guilty. Any of you like me who love legal dramas, judge says he's not guilty, he's justified. That's what that means. Easy way to remember that is uh, I've got taught in Sunday school. It's, it's just as if you've never sinned. And it's also just as if you've always obeyed. That's what it means to be justified. You're not guilty, you are righteous. Sanctification, on the other hand, that's a term that talks about being set apart. You're being taken out of this and set apart to something else. And it's also an ongoing process whereby we work with God, work with His Spirit, in order to grow in personal holiness. Now those two things together, how they apply to verse 17 is this. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, we are in that moment completely justified. We're righteous, we're not guilty in that 
moment. That's what Jesus has done for you. And that's how you are new exactly in that moment. And yet, this includes a reality of a present reality as well as a future reality. It's what uh, theologians often want to call an already but not yet reality. Because although we are in that moment completely justified, we're made new, we're not guilty, at the same time we still live in a world that isn't new. That is being renewed, but it's not new yet. It's still under sin's curse. We still live in bodies that are under sin's curse. We still have the temptation and struggle to sin inside us. So, that means, although we have been made new, we are uh, declared righteous, it means we don't instantly become morally perfect in the moment when we're made new. And if you need help with that, ask your spouse or your friends. They'll help to clarify that for you. You... you you're not, you're not new yet. You're not perfect in that way. And that's where sanctifying grace comes in. Because it comes into these struggles that we continue to have, that we continue to know, and it helps us. It gives us this sanctifying grace so that we can be empowered day by day to fight sin's attacks and to grow more and more to look like the one who justified us. That's what it means to have both of those graces operating at the same time. So we're new now, but not as new as we will be one day. It's being renewed every day. And that's a great thing to know because we need both of those graces desperately in our lives. The Bible tells us that before we were in Christ, even if we wanted to know Him, even if we wanted to follow God and be obedient to Him, we couldn't do it. Paul says, Romans 8, 7, the sinful mind, that, that old way of thinking, that old slave Mind controlled by sin is hostile to God. He says it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We couldn't do it before. We needed the new identity in order to be able to pursue God and follow Him. And that's what He's made possible by making us new. So what's so amazing to think about these two graces that God offers us in this new creation He's made us is that in justifying us, God completely clears the record the penalty for sin, the dividing wall of hostility is gone. It's, it's knocked down. And yet, God doesn't just say, okay, I've set the chart back to zero. Get out there and don't screw up anymore. No, no. He says, I'm actually going to empower you now to continue to follow me, to continue to be righteous and, and be just before me. He gives us both of these graces so that day by day, as Paul calls it, he says, from one degree to the next, the slow transformation will be transformed more and more into Christ-likeness. And honestly, that's one of the other struggles I know we all have when it comes to sanctifying grace, is we think it should be this super fast process, and it's not. It isn't. It's long, it's hard, and it's work. It is work. But it's work that's empowered by the grace that God gives us each day to continue to, to grow, to continue to learn. Continue to be made new. And what's most staggering of all is when we consider both justifying grace, sanctifying grace that God gives us, they're exactly that, they're grace. They, they, they are unmerited gifts of God that we didn't earn, that they were gifts to us purchased fully by the death of Christ on our behalf. Now, we talked, we've just talked a lot about a lot of stuff. I... I I hope it's not crazy for you to think and even imagine we're only just scratching the surface 
We're only just scratching the surface of all that it means to, to know Jesus and to be in him. All this, these things that we've learned about who Jesus is over these past eight weeks, bread, light, life, resurrection, all these things, that there's, we're going to spend a lifetime and an eternity learning about all that that means to be in him, to know his grace, to be known and loved by him, and to know and love him ourselves. But even this little bit, to, to know it, it's a powerful, transforming reality for all of us, that, that as we get to, to know and not just know it, it changes us. And yet, I, I mean, I know in a room like this, we've got to be all over the map uh, as to where we land, uh, where this truth finds us this morning. We're going to be all kinds of different places. For some of you, everything I've said this morning sounds like religious gibberish, nonsense. Like, how in the world does this mean anything to my life right now? Who, who cares? That doesn't make any difference. And yet, there's still something in you that wants to know what it is, that wants to understand. Why? Because for any one of a thousand reasons, whatever identity is that you've chosen and said, I'm going to pursue this, this is my identity, you found again and again it's not living up to what you thought it was. It continues to fail you, and at the end of the day, you just end up exhausted trying to live out this identity that that's not truly who you are. And if that's you this morning, I believe that Jesus' message to you is, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Jesus says, yoke yourself with me. Tie yourself to me. Find your identity in the one who made you and gave his life to redeem you. And he says, if you'll do that, you'll find rest for your soul. You will find the rest that you're not finding in all these other pursuits of all these other identities. You can find rest truly in making Jesus the point of your life and having him be the source of your identity. For others of you this morning, and maybe this is the greater majority of us this morning, you, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. You objectively, theoretically know, okay, I'm a new creation now, all right? I believe that's true, but we rarely, if ever, are experiencing that in our lives. We're not experiencing, at least not experiencing in a way that gives us the joy and the zoe life that Jesus said he came to bring us. Well, I remember a, a story my dad told me years ago about a farmer. He uh, had someone come out to visit him one day, and they were touring around the farm. He was showing them around. And when they walked by the chicken coop, the, 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 the visitor, he, he grabbed the farmer. And he's like, look out, there's, there's an eagle in your chicken coop. The farmer, he just is like, doesn't do anything, just unfazed. Yeah? But as the man looks closer, he sees the eagle is now just like hopping around on the ground in the cage, scratching at the ground and pecking up chicken feet off the ground. And as he looks even closer, he sees the eagle's talons are, are, are worn and cracked the feathers of the giant, powerful wings of the eagle are, are, are tattered, and they're actually shorn off. They're clipped now from just constantly dragging them on the ground. And now both the farmer and this visitor are looking at the eagle. Finally, the farmer breaks the silence, and he says, Yep, we found him just as a little baby falling out of his nest, and the mom never came and got him, so we just put him in there with the chicks, and he's... Grown up with them all his life. 
says, truth is, he could have spread them wings and flown out of here at any time, but the problem is, I don't think he even knows he is an eagle. Now, okay, that's, that's not a perfect illustration. And I promise you, I'm not going to give you some kind of Bette Midler, Josh Groban illustration right now, application that just says, we need to spread our wings and find the inner eagle in you. I'm not, not going to do that. But here's what I will say. Maybe, maybe it's because you've always misunderstood what Paul is saying here in verse 17. You've, you've always just assumed that you weren't yet a new creation because of the struggles to sin you have. Or maybe you've just sinned in some big ways or, or consistently in some smaller ways so much that you think, man, I'm not even worthy to be in him. I shouldn't be in him. I don't deserve that. Whatever it is, although you are in him, you have now been given a whole new identity in Christ. Just like that eagle, you're continuing to live in ignorance of who it is that Christ has truly made you to be. Continuing to live like a slave even though you've been made free in him. You've been given new life in his death and resurrection and yet you're still living like Lazarus in the tomb. And just think about that. How much of a victory is that for Satan, the enemy of our faith, to have new creations, transformed Christ followers still feeling like they're powerless before him. Still feeling enslaved to him and not understanding who they've already been made to be. It's a victory for him, even if you have been made new. I'm going to tell you that. That is why we spent eight weeks looking at Jesus' I am statements, looking and learning about who he is. He is. Because here's what's true. In your own understanding, in your own, un in your own strength and ability, no, you can't make it. You can't. No matter what identity you choose to take on, no matter how powerful it is, it will always end up failing you. And yes, you're right, you're not worthy to be in Him. You're not. None of us are. And yet, in Christ. In Him. When, when, when you take all of those amazing, astounding things that we learned about who Jesus is, and you see that that's the Christ that you're in. This Jesus who has the power over death itself. You're in Him. Jesus who is the bread, the only thing that can truly fill us and satisfy us. You're in Him. He is the one that when we know when we are in Him, He has broken down that wall of hostility that kept us from relationship with the Father. And He's made us new and continually making us new. You're in Him, and that changes everything. That changes everything now. Because think about it. What's, what's that thing in your life right now that feels way too big, feels scary, and I can't, I can't do it, but God's asking you to trust Him with? Who's that person God's calling you to forgive? Or that person God's uh, prompting you to, to share your faith with and you just feel like, I can't do it? What's that sin that you've been lied to about and told that you are powerless to overcome? 
any one of those things. Consider them in the light, not of your own ability, but in light of Christ. And that you're in Him, in His ability. Over these past two years in particular, as I've sought to truly know and embrace this reality, what does it mean? Who is this Jesus and what does it mean that I'm in Him? I felt that God has been consistently asking me the same question over and over again. When I consider struggles like these as well as many others, Jesus has been asking me the exact same question that he asked his disciples right after he'd calmed the storm that was threatening to drown them. He says, Why are you still so afraid? What are you still so afraid for? You think you're pushing this cart? It's not you that you can rely on. It's me. You're in me. And if you're in him this morning, I believe he's asking you the exact same question. Whatever that thing is you're facing this morning, whatever struggle, difficulty, sin that you're struggling against, feel powerless to overcome, in him, Jesus is asking you, what are you still so afraid of? It's not about your ability. It's about mine. And if you're in me, you're a new creation. The thing that used to keep you from being in me is gone now. Access to me is now being created for you. You're in me. What are you still so afraid of? It's my prayer for each of us this morning that individually, as well as as a church, we would live out our faith fearlessly now as we grow more and more in our understanding of all that it means for us to be in Him.